Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Good morning, C2 Church. Glad that you are with us this morning. I'm Pastor Jeremy. What a great Freedom Sunday, despite the rain, right? I mean, I can hear it right now, but that's okay. I'm glad that you are here with us and you didn't let the snow uh, keep you away. I'm just putting it in perspective. It could be worse. The rain did not keep you away. Well, what a great weekend. I don't know. How many of you got to participate in For Columbia yesterday? Did anybody else participate in that? Thank you so much for being part of the greater community of believers throughout uh, Columbia and mid-Missouri making a difference this weekend. What a great weekend. We've got our student uh, ministry worship, uh, leading worship this morning. Can I just let you know how much I love our student ministry and our students, Pastor, Pastor Ben? They're doing a great job. Pastor LT and Pastor Ben have been doing a great job raising up our, our students' band. I know many of you are, are like, oh, well, this must be the second string filling in today. And I tell you, they are not the second string. They are not the backup band. They are the worship band. They are part of the worship team here at C2. If this is your first time with us, it's important that you know that, that we are unashamed to raise up the next generation here at C2. They aren't the future church. They are the church today. So we treat them like that. We believe that if we treat students and, and kids like the church today, they won't leave the church tomorrow. That when they leave high school, they'll being part of the greater church body, they will feel like that's the normal part of life, that it wasn't something that was for their entertainment. That's what that's what we were talking about this morning. When they got up on stage, they didn't look at you as though they were performing for you. It's important that you understand that they're not, they're, they weren't here for mom and dad to, uh, to applause. Oh, look at little Junior up there, right? Um, they were here to worship, and you got to be part of that. And I, th- I thought they did a great job. It's also our fifth Sunday, so we did water baptism today, and we have our C2 kids ministry, our elementary uh, school ministry in here. Hi, kids. How many kids we got in here? Let me hear you. Okay, a few, few kids and young at heart. That's awesome. I love water baptism. I encourage you, if you have not taken the step uh, to get water baptized, can I encourage you to do that? We have a form online that you can always sign up. It doesn't matter if, if it's uh, it's always scheduled, but if you find yourself today wanting to be water baptized, go ahead and go online, c2church.com slash water baptism, and take that next step. I believe every believer in Jesus as the Bible commands this, and Jesus gives us the example, take that step of publicly confessing their faith through water baptism. And if you haven't done that, can I challenge you? It's not just for kids. We love doing it for kids because we believe that's a great step. But it doesn't matter how old you are. Would you take that step if you haven't yet? This, this year, do it now. The next time we do it here in a few months. All right, that's not what I'm talking about that, this morning. But those are things I'm passionate about and, and C2 is passionate about. But on this Freedom Sunday morning, I was trying to think, how do we talk about human trafficking? We've got elementary age kids in here. We've got students in here. We've got people of all ages in here. How do we address this global problem of human trafficking? And I begin to think about examples of human trafficking and how do we start the discussion. And so I'm about to ruin two mu- movies for you um, because I, I know sometimes when you think about human trafficking, you think of movies like Taken or some of these pretty pretty scary movies. But I think you can make it a little bit more applicable, and kids, maybe you can understand what we're talking about a little better. There are two movies that I thought of, Cinderella and Tangled, the story of Rapunzel. I know, I just ruined those movies. These are great discussion starters, parents. Do you remember watching Cinderella? I remember watching Cinderella for the first time, and I remember thinking, and, and actually, I process a lot through like emotions, so when I remember events, I remember the emotions, maybe not all of the occurrences, but I remember the emotions. And I remember thinking, as I watched Cinderella, I was just very frustrated, very angry. Did anybody else feel that when you watch Cinderella? Even today when I watch it. I'm frustrated at the stepmother and the stepsisters and how they treat her. It's totally unfair. It's totally unjust. It's not fair that, that they force her 
to work for them for no pay. And I know, I know Disney is not on the forefront of fighting social injustice, but this movie ends happily ever after. And I think that's, that's why we like them, right? We, we like the happily ever after ending. It resolves the conflict and the tension. But I feel frustration and anger through that movie. You've never thought of those movies in terms of human trafficking, have you? You'll never watch it the same way. There are circumstances that lead Cinderella and Rapunzel to be caught in slavery. And you can call it what you want, but, but let's call it what it is. It's, it's a form of slavery not too unlike today. I'm frustrated that, that when Cinderella finds herself uh, without a father, that stepmother and stepsisters. And by the way, that movie totally gives a bad rap to stepmoms and stepsisters, so let's not, let's not draw a conclusion there. But I'm angry at the mother, at the stepmother and the stepsisters for their selfish abuse of Cinderella. And you could say the same thing about Rapunzel. And have that same frustration that Rapunzel finds herself unknowingly enslaved by her mother. She doesn't know any better. She doesn't know that there's another way. She just figures from the goodness of her heart, this is what she's supposed to do. But she's being used and enslaved. Her mother is using her for her own benefit. And, and because she naturally trusts, well, this is how it is. And mom does it. But these stories just begin to scratch the, the surface of, of human trafficking and slavery, and slavery. And for millions and millions of people around the world, women, men, children, there is no happily ever after. That's the sad truth. They are caught in a life of slavery. And we should all be frustrated and upset that they say nearly 20 to 30 million people are enslaved today. That's more people enslaved than in all of history combined. Does that not upset you? Does that get your blood boiling? Does that not frustrate you? All right, I'm talking to myself this morning. Doesn't that frustrate you? Doesn't that upset you? I will. I will preach it. Maybe, maybe we have that lethargic response because well, it's not our church. Well, that's not our church. all over the world. Yes, even in the United States. Yes, here in Columbia, Missouri. This $150 billion industry is thriving. And you know what, church? We should rise up with righteous anger against this, against the exploitation and the forced labor of all human beings who are made in the image of God. What is human trafficking? Some of you, you kids might be thinking, well, I don't know what that means. Does that mean people go standing out in the cars? No, that's not Human trafficking is really a, a way of saying modern-day slavery. It's anytime a person is uh, caught in forced labor situation, regardless of the reason or how they got there, forced labor or forced work, they're not being paid or they're, they're kept captive, this is human trafficking. There are some myths that, uh, about human trafficking that I think we should dispel this morning. That, like one, it's just like the movies. You know, someone somewhere Usually powerful gangsters or personalities come and they steal someone and they go and they take them somewhere else. Well, that's not necessarily true. That might happen, but it's not always powerful forces or or gangsters. It's people of all socioeconomic standings that are responsible for the trafficking of human beings. But this myth, well... That only happens in poor or developing countries, right? You know what happens right here, right here in the United States. It happens all over the world, in every continent, every nation. Well, that just affects women. Oh, that's a myth too. It affects, it affects every gender. It affects children and men as well as women. But this myth, everyone trafficked is kidnapped or deceived. The truth actually is that some people choose this life. They, they may not know the outcome in the end, but sometimes they choose it. Sometimes it's their circumstances. They have no other options. Perhaps economically, it's a situation they they find themselves in. Or in some cultures, it's normal. It's what you do. You sell your children to make ends meet. Some people will sell themselves so they can return to their village someday having made money. Some, like children, are forced by their parents. How about this myth? Well, if, if they were truly victims... They would seek help. That's not true. Cinderella and Rapunzel show us that. They won't always seek help. They may be unable to seek help. Here's one I, I, I hope will shock you a little bit because 
as, as I was praying about this message, I felt like the Holy Spirit of God whispered this truth to my heart. And, and I think I've sometimes believed it. Some people deserve it. None of you will admit. We won't do a raise of hands because nobody will admit that they ever think that. But deep down, I found myself justifying it or at least trying to rationalize it like, well, you know, some people, yeah, it's okay. In the world, I think. Is there part of you, like me, that, that would erroneously think that, well, you know, they're drug addicts, so I guess that's just, right? Well, you know, they live in that kind of country and culture. Is that a proper and righteous thought? Well, you know, those prostitutes, I mean, that's, perhaps we don't understand what that lifestyle really is about. Well, they're poor, and so that's just how it is. Lord, forgive us for believing these things or for thinking or having these sort of shadowy thoughts. And as I prayed, I said, God, forgive me for moments where I, I'm apathetic and I accept the reality as it is because I've, I've come to unconsciously, subconsciously believe these things about another human being made in your image. What does God say about this problem? What does God say about human trafficking? Here, here's the first truth that we need to grasp. And if you're, if you're not a, a Christ follower, if you're not a Christian this morning, perhaps you would just grab onto these truths even if you don't fully believe the reasoning behind them, as reasons that everyone, not just Christians, should fight against human trafficking. Here's the first reason, first truth. One, we are made in the image of God. God values all life. God values all human life. Why does he value all human life? Because God created us in his image. What does that mean? Does God have two arms, two legs, ten toes, ten fingers? Is that what God looks like? What does God look like, kids? Could we describe him? I know what Jesus looks like, roughly. I know he's got all those features physically. What is God? How are we made in his image? When we talk about being made in God's image, it's not a reference to our, our physical body or the experiences that we have. It refers to the character and the attributes of God that are placed within the human being. We were originally created to reflect God's attributes, his character in righteousness and holiness. Now, God doesn't share all of his character traits with us, like he's omniscient. He knows everything, all times. He's, he's all powerful. We, we don't get that one. I wish we did, but we don't. He's omnipresent. He can be at all places, at all times, all at once. Only moms can do that. But we do share his attributes today. Even in this sin-broken world, we still share attributes with God, such as love, self-awareness, justice, grace, and mercy. And those are distinct from the rest of the animal kingdom. That's why we value all and we fight for it. The second truth I want you to understand this morning is that the Bible addresses slavery as offensive and unjust. I wish I had time to unpack all of the, the nuances of how slavery is addressed both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but we don't have time for that this morning. Suffice it to say that modern-day slavery is just as offensive to God as slavery at, at any other time in all of history. This is why Christians throughout uh, the last 2,000 years have fought against slavery. They have risen up to fight against the injustice of slavery. Because the Bible recognizes the reality of slavery. Let's understand that. And it speaks of how to treat others. God, you know, God listed slavery and, and slave traders among the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy. It, you can't get much worse than that. You can't get any worse than kidnappers or what the Bible says, calls them men stealers. This is not a new teaching. Moses teaches about it in Exodus. He talks about the fact that if someone steals another human being, kidnaps him or sells him, he is to be handed over for death. That's pretty serious. Much of God's wrath in the Old Testament actually was against 
really this kind of action. The exploitation of children as, as whole cultures were, were uh, ensnared into child sacrifice and child prostitution and, and these, these horrible, horrible things, God's wrath is poured out against them. So many people reading the Bible don't understand that sometime in the Old Testament, God poured out his wrath against these uh, these whole cultures because of the way they were going. The walls of Jericho that fall down in the beginning of Joshua, people think, oh, God committed genocide. But if you read about Jericho and how evil their culture was, it's the most merciful thing God could do was to pour out his wrath against that culture, lest it spread around the world because they were killing and exploiting children. Throughout the Old Testament, God commands and gives rules for how you are to treat someone in your service. And the Bible uses the word slave and servant almost interchangeably, and so it's important that you un- understand the context and the culture. That there were there were debt servants, people who owed debts that had to work to pay it off, or they had financial hardship, and the only way that they could survive was putting themselves in servitude to someone else. This was this was the social safety net. This was the first bankruptcy laws. And God says, if someone finds themselves in this situation, the whole community should provide for them a way to work off their debt and so that they don't starve. And so debt servitude became part of Old Testament culture. It was not commanded. It was simply uh, a, a, a form of um, social, a social safety net. It wasn't commanded by the government to take it over. It was that every person could say, you know what? I see you're having a hardship and you can come work for me. I don't own you. I can't sell you. So this is what we see in the Old Testament. And there were rules and there were protections and rights for people who found themselves in that position. And there was freedom every seven years. Every seventh year, they were to get their freedom. And many of these people were treated like family with all rights and privileges as sons and daughters. The New Testament recognizes the existence of slavery. Did you know in the New Testament, uh, one statistic was that nearly 90% of the Roman kingdom at that time, which included uh, Jerusalem and Israel, 90% of people found themselves in some sort of servitude or slavery. This was the reality that the New Testament was written. And so it addresses how do you live as a master? How do you live as a slave? It's not endorsed. It, it's simply saying, here's the reality, and here's what the new life in Christ looks like for those people caught in that situation. And here's what the reality is. Jesus came to bring freedom. Jesus came to bring freedom. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus came to bring freedom. That's the next truth. Both spiritually and, I believe, physically. Because the effects of the gospel, in a spiritual sense, should have outward workings in the hearts and lives of believers And as it spreads and unbelievers of the gospel become believers in the gospel, they become followers of Christ, that same uh, effect of the gospel begins to spread. And if I'm a slave owner, and I'm a, I'm a harsh slave owner, I, I, I participate in the, really the ungodly and unrighteous trade, and the gospel infects me, suddenly I look at human beings in a totally different way. Every human being. And it affects the way I act. Listen to what Jesus teaches. Luke chapter 4, verse 17, 18, and 19. He, he's in the temple. Let me, let me set this up for you. He's in the temple, and he's doing the daily reading uh, there in the temple. Right? So someone hands him a scroll and says, hey, this is the portion of Scripture. So basically someone hands him an iPhone and says, here's the YouTube verse of the day. That's, that's kind of how it was in those days. So it was a scroll, and he would read a portion of Scripture. And so he breaks out Isaiah chapter 61. And we hear it. We're basically reading what Jesus 
said that day when he read the scroll from Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen to that. He came to proclaim the good news word, the gospel, that's, that's that word right there, good news. He came to proclaim it. We read poor, but it, it would be better rendered broken. For to us to understand what broken really means, it's best to think about being poor, destitute, impoverished, having nothing. Have you ever been there where it just, you know, college students, you kind of understand poor, right? You understand debt, right? Now take it to the nth degree where not only are you finding yourself in debt, but you have no job, you have nothing. That's brokenness. We can, we can totally understand that. Jesus is also talking in the spiritual sense. We are spiritually poor, broken, crushed. He came to proclaim that good news, that there is hope to all who would find themselves in that situation. He came to set the oppressed free. I don't know if many of us can understand oppression. I think some of us have a better grasp of it. But this is both physical oppression and spiritual oppression. We are born into sin, which oppresses us. It suppresses our ability to relate to a holy God. Jesus came that we might have that fruit. He talks about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. What in the world does that mean? The year of the Lord's favor. What does having favor even mean? What does having favor mean? But at Christmas time, do you get presents? Why do you get presents? Because you don't even know. He's like, I don't know. They just show up under the tree. Why do you get presents? Is it because you're good? Like like the story goes, like if you're good, you get presents. If not, you get carrots. I mean, why do you get presents? Why do moms and dads and relatives and friends give you presents? If they're obligated, maybe you think that you might just get presents from people who love you because of favor. Right? Like we give our kids presents because we love them and show them favor. That word encapsulates so much more than just that illustration. But that's what Jesus is saying here. To play in the year of the Lord's favor, that you you get grace and mercy. You get what you don't deserve, and you don't get what you do deserve. The year of the Lord's favor. Do you know they had they had a celebration every se- seven years to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor was an actual thing, and they had a feast. And, and that feast was called the Feast of Jubilee, or it was called the Year of Jubilee, the seventh year. If you had become enslaved because of your debt, right? If you were if you were working for somebody to pay off your debt, your debt could not exceed six years. Isn't that great. The law actually said. The time you serve somebody shouldn't exceed your debt. So if you if you could pay it off in a year, they had to let you let you go. But if your debt exceeded seven years, eight years, ten years, guess what? On that seventh year, you were free to go. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor permanently. Isn't that great? It's like Christmas every day. Something to get excited about. Kids, when grandma and grandpa send you a check in the mail, that is a sure sign of favor. Like they're not even near you and they mail you stuff. They mail you money. That's great. Jesus is like, he's saying, look, look, not just now, but, but into the future. And even if you're not nearby, I'm going to send you favor. I'm proclaiming it. This was Jesus's priority was spiritual freedom. Listen, church, it's easy to say, well, you know, we're just about spiritual freedom. Can't, you can't set the priority of spiritual freedom against priority of physical freedom. That makes sense? Like we, we as a church can't just say, well, we just want people to know Jesus. We don't want to set them physically free. I think we can do both. I think the more the gospel spreads, the more that physical freedom is available to more and more people. But we do both. We fight against the injustice of slavery, but we also advance the gospel in our own lives, through our lives. But the truth is this, we can pray and act. 
We can pray and act. I don't think you can divorce the true. Because enslaved hearts are what? Enslaved humans. Did you hear me this morning? Enslaved hearts enslave humans. That's why people can enslave others is because their heart is enslaved by sin. And until that sin is broken in their life, they will continue the process of human slavery. Laws alone are not enough. Until we change hearts, we cannot effectively or permanently solve the problem of human trafficking. That doesn't mean we quit. It means we fight. That doesn't mean we stand back. It means we pray. I like what Francis Chan said. He said, the solution to human trafficking is discipleship. If people become more like Christ and the gospel advances into more and more people, then that same gospel would advance to places in the world where human trafficking not only exists but are rampant. And as the gospel advances, more and more people are freed from sin and more and more people fight. More and more people realize that if they're participating in human trafficking, that they will have a change of heart. Do you see this? process? Can you envision what happens when you do something or greater? We do something together. Listen, listen to the truth that, that Jesus shares. He says things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Does that address human trafficking? You bet. If you love God, you won't participate in it. You'll fight against it. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you, you won't participate in it. You'll fight against it. When Jesus says, treat others as you would want to be treated, does that not speak to human trafficking? Parents, talk to you for a second. Can you, can we raise children who love Jesus, act justly, and take the gospel into their life. If we raise children who know who they are and know whose they are, not only do we protect them, but we create a movement, a generation that will not stand for the existence of human trafficking. I, lo- I love when our students participate in, in, in who we are as a church. I love seeing them on stage for sure, but I love seeing them participate in the freedom and becoming knowledgeable about the problems that this world faces. Here's the final myth and the final truth. There's a myth about human trafficking is this. It's too big of a problem. You can't do anything. It's a myth. The truth is this. I can do something. You can do something. The truth is you have the gospel. And if you live it and share it, you can begin to set human hearts free to the power of God. The gospel is this. You were created to be with God, to worship him. That, that was the original creative goal. It was a people that would be God's very own. But what happened? Sin wrecked it. Our choices, our sins separated us from God, but God made a way to bring us back to himself through Jesus. Jesus was on the ultimate rescue mission. He came to fix that relationship. And if you believe Jesus and what he did through his perfect life, his suffering in our place, his death as payment for our sin debt, then you can have new life. And this new life realizes that it doesn't have to stay this way. The world was never meant to be the way it is. That Justice will reign, not just one day, but in the hearts and lives of those who believe. And we take that out from the four walls of the church. And it starts with my heart. It starts with your heart. And I give you a couple things that, that we can do, that you can do as a church today. One is starting not only with the gospel, but moving to awareness. We can't simply be people who, 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 uh, who know the gospel, but are unaware of how the world works and, and the issues and problems facing our world today. It starts with personal awareness. Things you purchase, right? And so many people are so caught up in the organic movement. Like, I'm thinking about just making stuff and marketing organic because I think people will just buy it because when we call ourselves the organic church, maybe people will just come. Oh, it's organic. I don't even know what it means. I don't know. But there's such a movement that we're looking at our clothes and, our, and the food that we buy. But what about fair trade, fair labor? The clothes and the toys and the food that you buy, is it fair trade? Can you be aware that... Your money is powerful and you can affect industries. I know some of you are like, well, I, I'm just one person. But look around the room. Do it. Like, turn your head. Look around the room. Can you imagine if the church rises up and says, no more, we're not participating? I know it's difficult. I know it gets expensive. But can you start taking incremental steps? 
All the coffee I buy at my house is fair trade. I don't eat chocolate, so I don't have to worry about that. Some of you might have to consider that. Make yourself aware. Learn. You can't simply stand back, well, I didn't know. You know now. You can't run from it now. You can be part of the problem or part of the solution. Become aware in your personal life. How about in your professional life? How many people in this room work in healthcare or maybe a first responder of some sort? How many are teachers or contractors? Maybe you go into homes or you work with other contractors. You're on the front lines. Maybe you didn't even know it. But contractors, you might be working with people caught in slavery. Teachers, you might have students in your classrooms who are victims of trafficking. Healthcare professionals, you might see signs of human trafficking. Learn what to do. First responders, I know you men and women are on the front line too. What about the salespeople at your door? Do you realize that sometimes they're being trafficked and they come door to door saying they're part of a scholarship program that if they sell so many bottles of what, you know, awesome sauce they used yesterday to clean this, something like that, and they come door to door selling it, that they might actually be, be being trafficked? How about pornography? They say that's the top industry for human trafficking. So when you view it, participate in the trafficking of human beings. Let that sink in. If you see something, say something. It's in your neighborhood. If something doesn't seem right, investigate. Call on law enforcement. You're not you're not called to be law enforcement. We have professionals who can do deal with that. And parents, teach your children. Teach them to be aware. Teach them online safety so they don't become victims. Be aware of recruiting strategies of traffickers. Care of your surroundings when you when you walk out. Like we make we make rules in our house, and we and we try to teach our kids. Like when you walk out of the store, you're not looking down at your phone as you walk through the car. One, you could get run over by that lady with that uncontrollable shopping cart or a car. One of the two. But when you're unaware, all sorts of things happen. And I like to think that it won't happen here. It won't happen to anybody I know. But the truth is, it could. And so we teach them just. Safety, that's just good safety. Put the phone away, walk to your car, be aware of who's around you, what's going on. Teach them how, uh, how to recognize unsafe relationships, not only in their life, but in others' lives. Teach them to recognize the signs at school. Third thing, prayer, 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 prayer. Did you hear me, church? Pray for those who are caught up in trafficking. Pray for the gospel to go out effectively. Pray, pray to God, say, God, if it's breaking your heart, let it break my heart so I can act justly. Pray for traffickers. Right, the Bible says, pray for your enemies, then pray for traffickers, that they would have a divine revelation of who Jesus is, and it would scare the socks off them. Somebody's going to pray about that. Pray for the survivors. Pray for organizations. Pray for our police officers, our, our first responders, our healthcare workers, our missionaries who are, who are on the front lines of this. Finally this morning, action. Take action. Support legislation and legislators who are moving the ball forward with proper legislation that enforce justice. Support organizations that are that are taking the fight to the trafficker. They're working with survivors. You know, we Matt said it earlier, we work with so many missionaries. To understand our missionaries are I think sometimes we have this idea that they're just going out into some uh, foreign land and they're setting up a church and they're preaching on Sundays and that's it. All of our missionaries have some sort of compassion component, humanitarian component, whether it's feeding programs or healthcare programs or micro enterprise. They have these these components so they can fight human trafficking in places where the economics sometimes lead people down that road. We work with organizations like Free International based out of Las Vegas. We're on the front lines of working not only for those caught in trafficking, but the survivors who are coming out. Project Rescue working in in, uh, places like Indonesia where, where the trafficking runs rampant and they're on the front lines of rescue and fighting against trafficking. Crossroads International, Kent and Jeannie Kelly, both in Africa and India, and now Pakistan, are also working for micro-enterprises and fighting human trafficking. You know they're going into brickyards where kids are enslaved and they're running Bible studies?
Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.